Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 102 on February 15th, 2022. In this episode, I chat with one of my favorite legal eagles, Jason Civilari, about some thorny legal issues and trends that are currently or may soon affect cryptocurrencies, DeFi, DAOs, DAO governance, and NFTs as securities. Jason also dives into the hot off the presses SEC settlement agreement with BlockFi. It has to do with BlockFi's lending product deemed to be a security. Jason explains why the decision may actually provide a light at the end of the confusing tunnel of when lending products require registration with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, Jason is an attorney with the boutique law firm Horizons Law. He has a stellar reputation for keeping members of the crypto community out of jail until they start the revolution. He is a deep knowledge and appreciation for crypto from tech to business to the ethos and spirit of crypto and, of course, to the law. And he has helped to advise many notable projects, including Dapper, Solana, Synthetics, Orca, Genesis Block, Grayscale, and CoinList. And he's worked with fully decentralized business entities, represented anonymous hackers. He talks about that in this episode and those, of course, that stop hackers and merged billion-dollar DAOs advised on emerging DeFi derivatives and products, pioneered new open-source licensing, and even pioneered methods for clients to offer high-yield centralized lending products without authoritative backlash. So clearly, this is another must-listen episode. I had a lot of fun with it, and I definitely will have Jason back on on a more regular basis so that we can continue to chop up the headlines and the latest Legal Eagle news. The number one question I get for the podcast is about the legal matters that matter in the wild, wonderful world of crypto assets. So I will continue to deliver that content. Okay, before we hop into the app, please take a moment to follow this podcast and then like, share and comment so that others who would benefit from this content can find it. It's time to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am so excited to welcome a friend in crypto and the law, Jason Civilari, who I had the great pleasure of working with when I created the first ever, evidently, Blockchain, Crypto, and Law Online Certificate Program at the University of New Hampshire's Franklin Pierce School of Law. I was very blessed to have Jason and some other amazing adjuncts come on and help me build that program and make it what it turned out to be. So I'm forever in his debt. And I'm also a huge fan of his intellect and insight on the intersection of crypto and law 
He has a really great point of view and a good 30,000 foot view, as well as up close and personal, uh, all the things that are going on in the legal landscape. And so I've invited him on today to chop it up a little bit about where we've been from a legal landscape point of view, where we are, so many fascinating and interesting things going on in the space and where we're going. We'll talk about all of that in a moment. But first, Jason, welcome. Hi, Tanya. Great to be uh, speaking with you. Excellent. Well, you're one of my favorite attorneys in the space. You, I don't even know that you know, whether or not you know, how much you helped me in those early years in particular, because you've been in the space for so long and just had a really keen eye and appreciation for not just the legal challenges, but the solutions. And I always tell my students, it's not about telling clients everything that can't be done. We're very good at that. (laughs) But the best and most effective lawyers in general, but in the crypto space in particular, are all about solutions. I know you are very invested in keeping members of the crypto community out of jail (laughs) until they start the revolution. And the revolution, it won't be televised, but it absolutely will be driven by software. So first of all, Tell us about what you're doing now and then your background in the legal landscape, and then we'll we'll get into some of the big issues of the day. Yeah, um, my background uh, in crypto, I started in Bitcoin back in 2012, Uh, bought my first Bitcoin when it was well below $100. Mm -hmm. Um, 2016, got introduced to Ethereum uh, by a friend from high school, uh, Taylor Monahan. She started uh, my Ether wallet. Uh, and at that time, I was uh, working on my law degree. I learned a Solidity, uh, Python, JavaScript, uh, a few other programming languages, uh, and really just sort of dove into uh, getting nitty gritty with the uh, technical side of all this. Um, since then, I've been practicing, essentially, you can call it crypto law, I suppose. I've mm-hmm. uh, been working with Horizons Law, which is uh, it's a boutique firm uh, catering to the blockchain space. Uh, we've helped a whole range of clients uh you know ranging from uh you've had synthetics which is a decentralized synthetic asset or synthetic token protocol um you know we've done work for coinlist and for grayscale a lot of work on uh, we helped launch solana in its early days Mm. um and uh as well as uh, did some work for for polka dot and uh, and now a lot of the uh sort of newer and and what i think are some of the really cool protocols uh you know we're very fortunate to uh helping them try to navigate uh, this legal terrain as as it still evolves as fast as the technology does. Speaking about some of those legal issues, what are some of the most pressing concerns? And obviously, I know you can't always talk about specifics, but in general, you've heard a lot of the, obviously, when you think about the initial coin offering or ICO boom and bust and kind of re, you know, cycling of some of the concerns and topics in the non-fungible token space, when you think of it from like, perhaps speculation and things like that. But Mm -hmm. there are some core pressing legal issues for any project or group that seeks to enter either token issuance or to get into decentralized finance and or to come up with various layer two solutions. What are some of the things that folks certainly on crypto Twitter, but in, in your orbit are most concerned about that you find to be pressing legal issues today? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the biggest one, or at least the most discussed, is the securities issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, today we just had the SEC's release of the BlockFi settlement. Uh, BlockFi is a, a centralized company that offered, or has historically offered uh, to U.S. persons uh, very high-yield uh, interest-bearing accounts. 
essentially they, they resemble bank accounts. Uh, so if you send them some Bitcoin, uh, they would offer you, for example, you know, in the range of four to 10% uh, APY uh, interest on uh, your deposits of Bitcoin. Uh, obviously this is very favorable. And if you're planning on holding uh, for a while, uh, you might send it to them. But the SEC just came out today uh, with its settlement with BlockFi stating that those were in fact uh, securities offerings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and, and they actually offered a, a somewhat crystallized path that both BlockFi and other uh, companies that, that are uh, similar to BlockFi uh, can follow to uh, become regulated and register with the SEC. Um, so, you know, that's one aspect of it is uh, how do these centralized players work? Uh, you know, last September we saw Coinbase was about to launch its Lend product. Mm-hmm. You know, that was very similar to BlockFi. Um, and, you know, a lot of us attorneys were saying, you know, this, this looks very similar to, uh, you know, a, a note under Reeves or a security under Howie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I've advised clients in the same position to, to go down Reg D paths and, and, for better or worse, only offer to um, accredited investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so very exciting to see that, that now we have a path that possibly uh, these could start reaching retail. Um, so yeah, that's one aspect. I mean, uh, governance, you know, figuring out how to uh, sue a DAO is one that comes <laughs> up a lot. Um, and, you know, licensing for NFTs, I think this will probably be the year of NFT intellectual property mm-hmm. uh, lawsuits. You know, there's a whole range of... Uh, um, those various issues that we're thinking about uh, in this world. Yeah, there are so many interesting things. And so let me put a, a, I want to put a pin in the non-fungible token conversation because I actually want to ask you about your thoughts on potential securities issues when folks are thinking about fractionalization of NFTs and, you know, the, you know, the difference between everybody throwing money in a pot, I don't know, like, a DAO for the purpose of purchasing, which is one thing, but you certainly can, you know, we see these other projects that not only come together for the purpose of purchasing something, but in the world of Ethereum, ERC 20s, you know, representing particular value over time or in the future and, and what that dividing line is. I mean, that's what people pay the big bucks and this is not legal or financial advice. The two <laughs> lawyers just chopping it up and talking, but obviously these are some of the things. So I want to come back because I want to have a, a, a fuller discussion on NFTs. Okay. This is um, a, a great day to actually come together and talk about this. I wanted to, you know, talk at a high level of where we are in terms of securities regulation to be sure. And then we have 2022-26 come out today when we're speaking. So this episode will air on the 15th. And so this is definitely some great breaking news to kind of reflect and, and respond to this agreement to pay. First of all, the amount of money, $100 million. Sometimes we've seen settlements that have been south of that or maybe north of that. And so I'm wondering, what do you think that's hitting the right notes in terms of the amount of money given, you know, everything that seems to be agreed to in the settlement? You know, it's it's sort of a, a double side. I mean, on one side, you know, as I mentioned, many of the, the practitioners in the space saw this coming or, or some yeah. level of this coming. Uh, and, you know, obviously BlockFi forged ahead. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's some questions about its uh, actual solvency that, that need to be addressed and are, mm. are fairly serious. But on the other side, they, this is the first opportunity to have some level of compliance with some, um, you know, crystallized guidance from the SEC for these products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems very difficult to say, you know, you're on the hook for $100 million because you didn't comply with the rules that we are setting as we tell you that you didn't comply with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, that, that that's sort of the other side of it. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, I, I suppose it's just the cost of doing business. BlockFi has been very successful and, and it is, uh, you know, they, they have very high uh, profit margins. Uh, obviously, $100 million is significant. It's not a small amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, overall, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to put the company out of business and they're going to, you know, and they, they will probably comply in the future. Um, so it may just be the cost of having the opportunity to, to make those large margins uh, early on. It makes me think of some of the earlier SEC. Um, well, I'm thinking of a case in addition to some of these settlements. And uh, the one the case that I'm thinking about is decades before. So that doesn't have anything to do with crypto, but it has something to do with what you just mentioned in terms of the difference between a rulemaking or an adjudication and the role that agencies have in uh, either creating rules and then enforcing them prospectively or rendering a decision as it relates to a particular regulated party, right, Mm -hmm. for past behavior. And so it does strike me the point that you've made about we have the existence of some rules, I think, from the SECs would believe that this is coming under existing (laughs) um, rules and regulations. And I can hear from the industry the pushback of that, that perhaps this specific ruling didn't exist and yet this is going to be applied retroactively. And also to your point earlier, provides a framework and a roadmap for those who would come after. So I'm wondering your thoughts about that. Yeah. I, you know, it's really a good point. The SEC always says, uh, you know, in fact, these were always securities under the SEC's view. Um, but if that were the case, BlockFi would have complied already. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, BlockFi and, and you know, the others are Celsius and, and obviously Coinbase Lend, mm-hmm. Coinbase being a publicly traded company. They would have already figured out this framework. You know, they have some of the best attorneys in the industry, right. you know, looking at this and trying to figure out how to read between the lines and, and build something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's where it's hard to buy into the SEC statement like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and it, it isn't. I haven't really seen a lot of pushback uh, so far. I mean, obviously, the, the decision just came out today, and we haven't had a, a you know, full chance to digest it, mm-hmm. uh, discuss it. But I, I haven't so far seen a lot of pushback from other practitioners saying that the uh, path forward was necessarily uh, bad or, or would be difficult to comply with um, as much as it just wasn't clear <laughs> before today. Right. Um, you know, and there, there are multiple pay ways, you know, including, as I mentioned, you know, I'd been advising clients just to take the safe route and, and comply with Reg D. Right. Um, you know, there are a number of different paths to, 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 to be compliant uh, and offer these products. Uh, so I, I, you know, I wish it had gone through some kind of rulemaking or, or some method where, where it doesn't involve, you know, finding a company mm-hmm. <laughs> to comply with the rule that they're announcing in, in the decision. Right. And it makes me think of the impact that this ruling will have on existing products they may not be precisely the same. So I'm thinking Gemini's Urn, for example, or mm-hmm. some of the other, you know, think of Ave and, and, and some of the yeah. others. And what's going to be the reverberating effect of this on future behavior? Sometimes, you know, we see even if there is a, a group or a company that thinks that they can win, they may err on the side of extreme caution. I know I'm a cautious person. I hear in what you're saying, you're advising folks with whom you interact, just, you know, play it safe. I wonder the impact of the industry bracing for impact and playing it safe and the impact that that might have on innovation. 
Oh, I, I mean, it's amazing when you go abroad and see how many uh, products are advertised at uh, many of the, the crypto conferences and trade shows uh, compared to what's going on in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've had a number of clients who, who are, you know, founded in the U.S., either move overseas or turn off access to the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, in an attempt to avoid uh, enforcement actions. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it's it's cryptos, you know, one of those double-edged swords. There are a lot of, there's a lot of room for, for you know, very devious or, or uh, uh, bad behavior. And there's a lot of room for error and, and just, you know, accidents or even negligence, you know, and, and perhaps Americans aren't being exposed to as much as those overseas. But on the other hand, I, you know, you've got all of a sudden uh, you've got CZ yes. <laughs> the list of, of the wealthiest uh, crypto people in the world. Uh, you know, that is not an American operation. Uh, and you've got a lot of people who are, who are also being exposed to the upside that crypto represents that Americans aren't exposed to. Uh, you think of some of the these sort of social issues that are happening in the U.S. Uh, and how there's a lot of conversation around wealth and income discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're locking out these you know high risk yet high reward opportunities uh, that would be available to the main street. And mm-hmm. in fact, have been an avenue for, for a lot of uh, advancement for, for people who are willing to, to take on that risk. So, you know, it, it really, I, I don't know if it, if it hinders innovation substantially because mm-hmm. you know, at this point, you know, we live in a globalized uh, digital world where, where you, know, you, you can raise money from anywhere now. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it does, you know, maybe having some kind of impact on, on the larger uh, culture of, of, of the United States, uh, possibly. And perhaps that's the reason that we see this mass exodus or this, uh, I don't know, great migration. We have uh, the resignation going on in the workforce and maybe a migration to decentralized governance. And so you mentioned governance and a lot of questions around that. We see a dramatic uptick in two things that we were talking about, you know, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs and also non-fungible tokens. We see the surge of DAOs like the Constitution DAO or people. What are your <laughs> thoughts around the uptick in this level of organization and the role of governance tokens in the overall legal landscape? You know, I, Constitution DAO was always a very interesting move. Uh, you know, I mean, it was too bad it wasn't successful because it was a fascinating experiment. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've had uh, projects like uh, Kickstarter, uh, products like Kickstarter and, and GoFundMe that in theory, this could have happened before. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, what's the question of what, why is it now happening with crypto when when there was a, you know, a clear path and an ability for this to happen in the past? Uh, you know, I think part of it is, is DAOs also come with, uh, you know, the, the rules of governance. Uh, you know, it's hard to understand how through a GoFundMe, how that would then translate into, uh, you know, participants in a GoFundMe then also having a say over what, what museum they're going to put a, uh, right. uh, you know, document into. Um, and maybe that's easier on chain, but, but it's still possible. I mean, you know, there's still discord voting and, and, you know, there's still methods that, that have been around for a while that, that mm-hmm. could have allowed that to happen. I think part of it is, is simply, it demonstrates that it really has removed the intermediary, intermediaries for a lot of this right. in order to participate in a, in a Kickstarter. Uh, you actually have to go through a bank, uh, you then have that will go through Visa. Uh, you know, there might be Square in between that, that's handling the actual payment process. Uh, you know, and then it ultimately ends up at, at Kickstarter. You know, and th- these are all intermediaries that are taking a cut and setting a different set of rules and having uh, and each of them have their own compliance departments determining what users can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, and you bring them into the sort of wild west nature of, of blockchain where all of that is handled uh, by the technology itself mm-hmm. and, um, and so perhaps that might explain it um, so yeah that would have been really interesting had it succeeded how do you actually claim that the uh, the constitution DAO owns uh, you know the documents or, or can enter agreements mm. uh, you know beyond that because uh, it, it's not clear exactly what type of entity uh, you know, and I know that they had some some level of a path for that, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking at the time it wasn't it wasn't sound. It hadn't been proven. Uh, you know, and there was a lot of questions that just you know, from my legal perspective, looking at it from the outside, mm-hmm. uh, was questionable. So yeah, that's that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Is is you know, how are these DAOs going to be regulated uh, as some sort of entity mm-hmm. uh, that can enter contracts without exposing all the participants into a, a large amount of, of uh, legal liability? And, you know, it's a massive question that, that we constantly have. You know, another example where, where I've, I've seen this a little bit, you know, I've been advising a, uh, a company that, that's working on uh, basically a sports betting protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and currently they, they, they don't actually involve wagering. Yet. You can have a sponsor for a competition and that can sit outside of gambling laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the question comes up, how do they actually comply with state level gambling licensing laws? Mm-hmm. Right that all require an entity to register with the state. Right. And, and, you know, and they're looking for a casino with a house that is, has ample room to rip off, uh, you know, the users or the, you know, the gamblers or participants, and they're trying to regulate them and, and keep an eye on them. Whereas you have this protocol that just handles it all very transparently. Mm-hmm. And there is no entity. There is no need for that casino or house. Uh, but therefore there's also not a path to register with the states to do it legally. Right. Uh, you know, and it's and and so now now we you know we, we have discussions around uh, you know do we form an entity to you know and for this purpose and how how does it interact with the DAO and you know it's, it's, they're they're hard questions, um, but but it's also fascinating you know right. looking at how the old laws and and so many of these regimes were formed thinking that you had untrustworthy people capable of doing untrustworthy things, mm-hmm. and now we've created a whole technology and movement around the fact that. Uh, you know, has minimized that possibility in a lot of the ways that it could have been done in the old world. It's created some new opportunities for, right. for <laughs> very bad actors, but uh, but it's eliminated or, or minimized some of the old ones. Uh, and you know, I think that's really where where you know the, the incongruence between the old legal systems and, and the new technology really really are pronounced. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. 
If you've tried to figure out crypto, DeFi, and NFTs on your own on YouTube University or Podcast College, and all you have to show for it are a lot of questions, but little if any forward progress, I invite you to visit AdvantageEvans.com to get the answers you've been searching for about how to buy, store, and trade crypto and NFTs and to access DeFi safely, legally, and confidently. Advantage Evans Academy offers everything from full-service VIP onboarding to prop-guided on-demand and cohort-based courses, as well as an engaging, informative, and supportive membership club, AE Explore Live, for as little as just $1 a day. This club is for you if you want to learn from well-respected crypto education experts like me, transform your relationship with money, generate wealth in the new digital cash economy, create digital ownership streams that lead to generational wealth, learn to bet, buy, store, trade, earn, and sell cryptocurrencies, engage in DeFi to lend and leverage your crypto, create, buy, and trade creative and collectible NFTs, and network with other crypto-curious enthusiasts in an inclusive environment. You'll gain all of that and more in a wonderful community of like-minded, lifelong learners ready to get in and to win. If that sounds like you, join us. Visit AdvantageEvans.com to get immediate access to the resources you need and deserve. That's AdvantageEvans.com. Let's go and let's grow. And now, back to the conversation. I find it really, really fascinating because your point is really important that these intermediaries were providing the trust to facilitate and in some cases de-risk interactions between parties who don't know each other and or don't trust each other. Sometimes also providing some type of liquidity. There were all of these roles that could not be accomplished given the state of the art, the state of the technical art at the time. And the very system that was basically enshrined to offer trust became one of the most non-trusted parties on the planet. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we've upended it and you have this surge of software protocols and, and really, you know, pieces of software that say we don't have to trust each other. We're going to, of course, you and I have talked over the years, trusting the code. Right. And the law of code, Lex Cryptographica and what that means, and also solving through software a number of the issues with the opaqueness of the financial markets, the premium information shrouded behind um, and secreted, I should say, to certain parties. And so you you had this imbalance of information. Right. And trying to inject balance with mandating that there be disclosures and and all sorts of other things to put investors on proper footing or to protect consumers and investors. We constantly hear that. And that's critically important. Uh, Mm -hmm. But software is not without its problems, as you've mentioned. And that leads me to one of our final topics talking about. You know, obviously every day almost we hear of some type of hack. Now we know that in general, in most cases, it's not a blockchain, although it could be. Uh, Certainly centralized Mm -hmm. platforms are ripe because they're the honeypots that have all all of the loot. And if you're, you know, why do people rob a bank? Because that's where the money is. Well, used to be. Money doesn't actually reside there anymore, but that's a story for another day. Um, So what do we do about, you know, and, and we see, 
bug bounties going and increasing in value because the stakes are higher now. Every minute of every day, the stakes are getting higher. So how do we reconcile the promise of software that is providing the transparency and the security that cyberpunk was missing versus heists and bugs and, and all of the other stuff, uh, real and imagined. Sometimes it's FUD, but sometimes it's real. So, so your thoughts. It's, you know, it's one of the most fascinating aspects of what, you know, of what we work on, you know, who do we hold accountable? That, that's often you know, the law's job is, is to figure that out when something goes wrong. If everything goes right, then, then there's really no, no need for laws. Right. Uh, a lot of the time. Uh, and, and, uh, and we had the wormhole attack recently. I think it was around two hundred thirty million dollars uh, got siphoned off by some some attacker. Yes. And and very quickly, uh, venture capital stepped in and and reimbursed it. Uh, so as it turns out, it was insured in some way, and, you know, and people hadn't known that. In fact, the venture capital firm probably didn't know that they were going to insure them until it occurred, and, and right. they realized it was in their best interest. I, I think that might be something that we see more of. Is is uh, you know, as these these types of attacks become clear and, and, and we start to get a lot of data on, on how they're executed and the types of attacks and, and you know best practices are, are more and more crystallized, uh, insurance policies or insurance protocols uh, will start to uh, emerge more and more. And I think that will actually help alleviate a lot of the concerns around around the security risk because otherwise it's a very hard question. I mean, do you hold the, the, the developers accountable? You know, what if it was something that was, was you know, even a reasonable, uh, you know, programmer who who was you know, very skilled at what they were doing and, and had a long uh, career still still couldn't have recognized the bug or even right. recognized that maybe the what they were experimenting with was just prone to to uh, flaws to begin with. So yeah, I think that's. I, and I, I'm reminded there was I, I had one. You know, I, I can't get too specific about mm-hmm. it. There was one large, uh, high-profile attack. Uh, you know, there was. It was in the, the media. Several million dollars were taken from a DeFi protocol, and I remember reading the reports, and they were saying it was a, uh, uh, it was clearly a, you know, it was probably a state level actor, or someone who really knew what they were doing. And and, and I got a call that afternoon uh, from someone that was using a voice changer, saying, mm. "What do I do? I just accidentally hacked this DeFi protocol." Mm. <laughs> you know, and I and. As one of those where, where uh, you know, advise them the best that I can to not break the law. Right. Um, you know, that was such an incongruence between what had actually occurred, right. and how it was being covered and, and spoken about in you know, the press, and, and um, I do look forward to more thought being put that direction. Uh, you know, and how do you actually quantify risk in, in that regard, and then and then uh, figure out ways to, to cover it. And then, you know, once that happens, then, then, you know, then we can actually start talking about regulatory. Right. You're free to do X, Y, and Z as long as you have uh, plugged into this insurance regime that, that we found is mostly suitable. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be a really uh, exciting time and it's going to unlock a lot of stuff rather than having the SEC try to figure out, you know, are, is the SEC responsible for ensuring that programmers are, are, are up to snuff on, on their coding? Um, that will just, uh, I guess the purpose of insurance is to de-risk and uh, that's what that, that emergence will probably do for the entire industry. Money is all around us and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? 
Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. The just in case, the just in case, as as, as my nana used to say. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, to be sure, it was fascinating to read about the after the fact of jump trading, jumping in the backstop that that three hundred twenty million is that accurate million dollar yeah. exploit, and uh, the role that crypto ins- insurance for uh, this ecosystem will be very interesting. Let's stick a pin in that because I feel like we'll be talking about that for a while (laughs) and that might be one of the best safeguards where we'll just invite in all of the uh, intermediaries again and we'll just go back to the old system. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some of the intermediaries are doing a good job, it turns out. (laughs) Right, right. So to be determined, TBD. All right, final topic, and then I will lovingly release you back to your life today, is obviously non-fungible tokens. And uh, there are a couple of things you can say at the end of this, if you want to mention anything about the Super Bowl and and Crypto Bowl, which is interesting. And um, we saw some really not so great. And then some really great ads last night. But the fact that the Super Bowl brought all the crypto to the yard was very, very interesting. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about NFTs, of course. My favorite topic has been for years. And and now I feel like I've, you know, I have vengeance because actually we do have something to talk about in particular from an intellectual property point of view. But earlier you mentioned this idea of NFT licensing. One, I just see a ton of brands getting into it. I know you do as well. Uh And the reason is because of the value in intellectual property generally, probably copyrights in particular, but also the brand. So it's going to bring in trademark issues as well. And just the role and the intersection of non-fungible tokens, intellectual property, We see some of the speculation in the creative and collectibles space and people coming in to quote unquote flip in the same way that they might invest in fungible tokens Mm -hmm. and try and invest. So a lot of that mindset is shifting to art, which to some is at odds with the idea of art for art's sake and the (laughs) value of art. (laughs) So I hope we settle into that, but you'll have collectors, you'll also have investors, but maybe we'll at some point also get to this land of far lower priced uses uh, and everyday uses of NFTs or maybe for ticket sales. I like the the Ticketmaster example and other things. Uh, where are we with NFTs? Where do you think we're going? And then any thoughts you have about the potential risk of inadvertently tripping the SEC wire from a securities perspective as well, which is something I think about all the time. I don't think enough people are thinking about it or talking about it. So I'm happy to riff about that with you. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, first of all, I, you know, I've been working with NFTs, you know, since since before the the ERC seven twenty one standard, which was you know the first uh, amazing emergence of of uh, you know a standard around uh, ERC on the Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the potential and the power of NFTs, you know, when you think of value, um, you know, and all the things that have value and all the ways that we measure value and quantity. You know, quantify value. Currency is just one 
you know, it's a substantial, but it's one subset of value generally. Mm-hmm. And NFTs kind of represents the op- opening to everything else, um, which I think is really fascinating. You know, and you can think of it from everything from uh, transactions themselves that, you know, contracts can have value to, uh, you know, real estate to uh, brand name. You know, I can imagine, uh, you know, intellectual property standards emerging in, in tokenized form, which mm-hmm. would look something like an NFT. Uh, and so, for for Bitcoin to have come out first and its first use case being you know currency as value, uh, which is important, but then to define the whole thing as as fungible versus non fungible, uh, you know I've always thought that was kind of funny. Right. Um, but as for where we are right now, uh, we are just sitting on the very very beginning of this path. Yeah. Uh, and and to a point where I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that where we are is anywhere useful. Right. Uh, yet yet uh, you know and we might see some of the, the projects of today turning into some really cool things uh you know next next few months or next year but i i, I you know when, when you talk about the the security side of things some, some of these nfts you go it's an nft drop you know it's a randomized which one you're going to get and apparently some of them are rarer than others and that you know will give them value somehow to, to certain individuals and it Never mind that you can go on OpenSea and see all of them and, and right click and, and copy and paste. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, and you can still look at it uh, in general. There's there's something about having the title that, that people claim mm-hmm. uh, value. Uh, but you go to these NFT drop websites and they they talk about the technical and business prowess of the team, and they talk about the roadmap that the team has to increase the popularity of these tokens that the team itself is going to be doing. Uh, and, and, you know, by the way, maybe there's a chance that they're going to actually distribute some of the secondary rewards among the NFT holders themselves. And it look, it reads just like the old ICO websites of 2017. Right. Um, you know, and it's very clear that, yeah, there's, there's some kind of JPEG involved here when, when before it was you know, perfectly fungible tokens. And yet they're, they're creating business enterprises uh, with an expectation of profits based on the work of, of, of you know, the, the centralized team. And, and but and yes, there's a JPEG involved somehow. And, <laughs> <laughs> that will save the day, evidently. Apparently, yeah. And, and I'm just looking through this, and I'm like, you know, I know that the SEC is not dumb, and I know that they're focusing on on high yield return accounts and not the you know half a billion dollars worth of fraud that's going on in the crypto space. <laughs> um, but you know, at a certain point, some of these have to to turn some heads. You know, it isn't just that this is a really cool work of art and I want to be the one that has the, assuming intellectual property rights even apply, you know, I want to have the rights associated with it and I want to have that recorded by a blockchain. So many of these projects are oriented only around their profit-making potential. And Mm -hmm. it's not clear that anybody, anybody values the art itself other than, you know, sort of as a, you know, sort of hand, hand wavy, you know, they have to say that uh, for, for, people to not worry about them being securities. So I, I do think there's going to be some reckoning for a lot of these projects. Uh, you know, the other aspect of it on top of it is, is then they start talking about fractionalizing NFTs. Right. Then means creating, you know, somewhat fungible units within an NFT. And, and at that point, I'm just wondering why they're not using fungible tokens to begin with. They, mm. They've really increased gas prices in order to accomplish the same thing. Right. And, uh, so, yeah, it, it, I, I do think we're going to see a, a number of regulators step in eventually. And, I, you know, whether it's just from a fraud perspective or if it's even, you know, normal, uh, you know, home garden securities uh, uh, violations. But, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I do look forward to, uh, you know, some of the, the 
other use cases of NFTs emerging where, where they don't have such potential for investment. They are useful for business and commerce and mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I think it, it'll be really powerful. And I do appreciate that NFTs, it seems like, has done a tremendous amount of bringing the idea of crypto to the mainstream. Right. Uh, brought participation by, by celebrities and, and investors and the like that are, are you know, they're all in it. They, you know, they're not just looking for, for a buck. They're trying to figure out what the next cool innovation is going to be too. And, and they're bringing attention to it and bringing capital to it. And they're, they're making it cool. Right. In ways that I, I'll never be able to. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying for years and we have I've not been, been successful. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Listen to the nerdy attorney about why this is so cool. Um, yeah, so I think that that aspect of the NFTs is, is probably why NFTs have been so valuable recently. Isn't that they are do? They, it isn't actually that they're cool as much as they're they're be, they're being seen as cool, right? Um, and then hopefully that will help fuel the next wave of innovations, both in NFTs and, and across crypto generally. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And I will say one other thing uh, that I've seen the power and the promise for artists on the margins to have access to a global marketplace and actually receive a capital asset in exchange for their work mm -hmm. is for now there are millions of starving artists still i get that but for a core group in particular and i think of the folks i work with at black nft art and some of the artists that have really taken off and then have come back to reseed the community so They'll, you know, they'll sell something for tens of thousands of dollars and take some of those profits, not only to reorient their entire family in this generation to do things that they didn't think possible, particularly in the middle of a pandemic when money was very, very short, but then to use some of that to go back and buy, you know, Genesis pieces and one of one of ones for folks who otherwise wouldn't sell in that 200 or $2,000 really can be at a micro level quite transformative. And so I don't want to discount the impact that that can have. And it's a nice thing to reflect on in particular during Black History Month. Uh, so this idea of creative justice is interesting to me in the same disintermediation of finance is interesting to see how it's playing itself out in the art world that has a similar number of intermediaries. But this idea of mainstream adoption is, is interesting and definitely happening. And that's the only reason that people pay millions of dollars for <laughs> for ads during Super Bowl, which was the crypto bowl, uh, to <laughs> to continue to beat the drum that this it's the future is now. So any parting thoughts about Super Bowl, crypto bowl, ads you thought worked, ad think you that you think <laughs> missed. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Well, I've learned not to listen to Larry David. That's <laughs> That was a win for me. That, yeah, that was a good me. one. I, you know, I thought the, the Coinbase one was, was one of the more creative ones. You know, I was, I was sitting there. I, we, we, uh, you know, I'm in Stanford, Connecticut right now. Mm -hmm. And so we went to one of the local uh, sports bars to watch it. Or mm -hmm. bar. And this QR code comes up and, and, and we're all looking at it. And we're like, what is that? You know, and everyone at the bar starts talking to each other. And I, I pull up my, my QR scanner. Apparently, being the, the, the most savvy in the room, and, and I said, "I'm like, of course, it's Coinbase. It's a crypto company." And it, uh, but I mean, it, it was it got the buzz generating just in that room. So right. like, everybody was talking about it for, for you know, that and the next couple commercial slots. It that would have been a tough commercial to follow. Right. I don't remember what happened? Uh, you know, and I thought, and of course, you know, and I, I, you saw my tweet on this. Uh, yes. 
course, the very first thing that happens is Coinbase goes down, which is the most right. Coinbase thing to do is, is go down when, 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 when it's supposed to be up. Absolutely. I think maybe that was planned, too. It's all a part of the plan. You see? Perhaps. Yeah. They, they get used to our flavor of, of service. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I did think that was a very creative one. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, brought back that level of nostalgia of watching the, um, the, the screensavers bounce around the screen. Yes. I, you know, I, I've seen people saying that they spent $16 million on that ad, and I, I'm curious how, other than funding the, uh, the, the rewards that they have for uh, in Bitcoin, because that was the most <laughs> ad to be, you know, the most effective that I think uh, I've seen in a long time. Absolutely. So we had Coinbase, we had FTX, that was the one with Larry David, that was the win for me. We had eToro did one that was interesting. Yeah. I, the first two are the ones that we I heard the most buzz about, to be sure. Good, bad, or otherwise, if people are talking Perfect. about it, then you must. Oh, and Crypto.com did one for sure. Uh, yeah. King, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Oh, one. LeBron, I, you know, I, I, there was just a South Park where they said, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got... Uh, uh, fortune favors the brave, and they kept making fun of the tagline in the South Park. <laughs> Wait, we can't be brave. That's how I lost all my money. <laughs> I love it. I <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Yes. Well, we gave them something to talk about in 2022. Glad that it's not just you and me talking. The whole world <laughs> is talking about it. And that means the future is bright. We don't exactly know how this is all going to work out. But I love being on this this wild, wonderful journey with you as we analyze the past, present, and future of crypto and the law. Um, we don't know if we're supposed to call it crypto lawyers, or blockchain lawyers, <laughs> technology lawyers. In a bit. We don't know. But we know that people are paying a lot of money to talk to you. <laughs> and I like that. So tell folks how they can learn more about you, connect with you and your work. Yeah. You know, um, connecting uh, with me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name, just search my name or on Twitter. Uh, it's at uh, Legal Limit ENT. Now you can also uh, look up the law firm. Right now we're going through a rebranding, so the website's not perfectly up to snuff. Uh, but yeah, if you want to search for Horizons Law, uh, you know we we uh, I, I I joined the law firm almost three years ago, and it was just me and the founding uh, attorney, uh, and we and we had one one uh, staff uh, uh, assistant as well. And the firm now, I think we just registered our thirteenth. Uh, staff employee, uh, mm. you know, going five attorneys. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it has grown so fast, and we, we have been taking on such awesome work, and it's been really exciting to be a part of it. Um, so, yeah, if, if anyone is looking for help in the legal space, uh, you know, I think we have more uh, experience and insight than, than a lot of the, uh, you know, I don't want to say, you know, a lot of the lawyers outside of the industry, there's a learning curve uh, yes. that it takes to, to get onboarded. Uh, whereas, you know, we speak the language and have been doing this since, since day one. Uh, so happy to chat. Excellent. I'm going to send some some of my rock star students your way, too. He's very Absolutely. happy with, with some of the soon-to-be lawyers coming out with a, a head full of crypto knowledge and, and <laughs> lots of Red Bull to get them through the late nights because most crypto and blockchain lawyers I know, they don't sleep much, but they're amazing. And that includes you, sir. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, we'll have a clerk that is uh, graduating very imminently, uh, which means we'll need a new clerk. So yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. Excellent. I'm going to tell them before I air this. Is, is that's not insider trading that's just a jump that's a, that's the privilege <laughs> that's host privilege uh, exactly just, <laughs> i appreciate you so much and i look forward to doing this more regularly there's so much that goes on like every 90 days we should be checking in with each other We're probably going to be talking about something radically different but i have always enjoyed speaking about this with you so thank you for taking time to to spend time with me today 
Thanks so much, Jason, for chopping it up with me about some of the most pressing legal issues facing crypto and the people who love it and can be empowered by it if we do this thing right. Where users, investors, builders, and the future of work, wealth, and creativity go from here is anybody's guess, but that future will be shaped by the laws developed today. Innovation always marches on and often is at tension with existing laws in the legal framework. So calibrating laws in ways that support innovation while preventing harms like fraud and crime and theft is key. Be careful out there because application of the laws to the creation, purchase, sale, and leveraging of crypto assets is almost as volatile and unsettled as the crypto market itself. Be sure to keep listening, learning, and leveraging this information on Tech Intersect. The space moves fast, but I'm here, your trusted legal legal, to help you keep up and make it all make sense. Ping me on Twitter and let's keep the conversation going. And before we sign off, please take a moment to like, comment, and share this episode and this podcast with your networks. Follow me on social media and let me know what topics you'd like to hear more of and who you want to hear from. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media on Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.